Now, the pride of Indiana, just back from a whirlwind speaking tour in Ypsilanti, Michigan, Emily Swan. Give it up for Emily, people. Oh, Ken. <laughs> yeah, my global speaking tour of Ypsilanti, Michigan. Well, I don't know about you guys. Um, Rach and I have been working in our backyard a lot, especially since it's been so nice. And so we were outside most of yesterday. And every time I go outside, so like our back door goes out onto a patio area that's sort of cemented in. And every time I go back there, there's this mama bird who's a robin who stands on the fence nearby and just stares at me and squawks every time I'm too close to her nest, which is most of the time that I'm out there. So last year this happened to me. And so I actually tried to bring her some worms and I tried to like lay them by the nest or near the nest to let her know that I'm her friend, but I don't think she cares. And so she's there almost every year, but our patio has this awning that like slopes down so that there's a covered space back there. And under that, there's just like this perfect place for birds to nest. There's actually a nest at each end of it because apparently even bird families need their space. And so every year we have about two sets of robins that come to live with us. And so come March, Rachel and I, we can watch them from our kitchen windows and we can see them come back and start to make repairs to their old nests and they add some straw and grass and they get it all warm and ready. And then right about now they lay their first batch of eggs because robins do two batches every year. And so I'm pretty sure there are eggs in just one of the nests this year, even though there are two nests still going on. And so these robins, they can put their most valuable things, their little eggs there to incubate and keep them tucked away from the weather and the animals. And this picture of this nest that's like tucked away, this safe, warm place where new life can incubate, I want us to keep that in mind this morning. And even maybe think about that mama bird who's like protecting that nest and squawking at me. And we'll come back to that picture. So when I gave our Easter sermon uh, a few weeks ago now, the theme was resurrection begins in the dark. And we talked about how like in the Christian story, transformation and new life, it ferments in these unlikely times and places. And that's true in our personal lives as well as in our collective lives. And we talked about how the story often skips over the idea that Jesus woke up alone in a damp and dark tomb. Right, so new life often begins in the dark. It's like a seed in the ground or a baby in the womb. And this seems to be recognized as a pretty universal spiritual truth. So last year, when we first started feeling all the effects of the shutdown, I started getting invitations. I don't know if my fellow staff members saw these as well, but I got a couple of them by email. And then I started getting Facebook ads probably targeted to me for online conferences of interfaith leaders talking about this spiritual moment that we're in, right? So it's like a bunch of spiritual leaders across these different faith traditions. They got really excited, not because of the suffering that we were enduring, but because they know that big social and spiritual transformations often occur during and after big events like a pandemic. And I think in a similar way, big personal transformations can often occur during or after times of hardship. And you can probably see that in your own life. I know that I can. And I think it's important to say, I don't believe God creates suffering or sends it our way, but there does seem to be some kind of mysterious truth 
to the transforming potential of suffering for whatever reason, and I don't have a good answer as to why. But I've been thinking about this a little bit more, and I was wondering, what does it actually mean to talk about resurrection beginning in the dark? Like, what does that actually mean? It sounds kind of cool. It resonates with me. But how does new life start to occur, occur when we can't even see what's happening and we can't predict what even the next month will bring, whether that's for our marriages or our kids or our jobs? So, like, what's, what's the mechanic? What's the practice that can help create this change and give it a greater possibility of occurring for, like, new life or growth? And one longstanding Christian response to this question is that you nestle into the darkness and the quiet, right? That new life can germinate when we nestle into the hiddenness, like a bird in a nest, trusting God and allowing the spirit to intercede for us. So let, let me unpack that a little bit. I'm going to get a little bit heady. I usually don't do a lot of Greek words and such in sermons, but this week I was, I was doing some reading and I found a particular concept that's captured by the Greek to be helpful. And I thought you might find it helpful too. So Greek was the language in which much of the New Testament was written. And the Greek words for rest, here I'm gonna put this into the chat here. The Greek words for rest or silence or hesikadzo or hesikia. And in the Eastern Orthodox church tradition, which is one of the three major branches of Christianity, these words also came to mean praying. And so praying and rest and silence are closely connected, especially in the Eastern Orthodox churches. And you've probably heard Ken talk at length about the Orthodox understanding of prayer as being the state of like descending from the mind into the heart. Right? I think he even mentioned that last in last week's sermon. Right? There's this practice of saying the Jesus prayer which is just Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And kind of saying that to your breaths as you meditate and you feel your mind sinking into your heart region. And that's meant to help bring us into like a contemplative posture where we're more intuiting God's presence rather than letting our minds yammer on and distract us, right? So it facilitates an intuitive experience of God. And the Orthodox tradition calls this, it's a very related word, hesychasm. And Sue Monk Kidd, she's an author of a book that I really love called When the Heart Waits. It's a book I'd recommend if you're going through a major transition in your life. And she says this about hesychasm. She said, hesychasm was a way of unceasing prayer in which the person descended into the heart and built a nest for herself and God, a place where she rested in the divine presence staying there throughout her day, throughout her pain, conflict, and struggle. So hesychasm, it's an understanding of staying in a posture of quiet, unceasing prayer. But when I say unceasing prayer, I don't mean that you're like praying literally and consciously all of the time, because ain't nobody got time for that, right? I mean, nurturing a space inside of you that you know is there, that is the peaceful abode of God. There's a, a rabbi I like to read. Her name's Rabbi Naomi Levy. And she talks about how every person holds a piece of the divine unity of all things inside of them. 
She's like, we can call it soul, we can call it whatever, but it's the divine unity of all things and we all carry it. And it's this place of divine unity and peace to which we become aware. And she said, yeah, meditating can help us locate it, right? Saying the Jesus prayer, but really we can become familiar enough with that place inside of us that it becomes a little bit more like an anchor that we can hold on to when we need it, right? You can just kind of check in on it while you're like popping dishes in the dishwasher or waiting for a Zoom meeting to start. And when this word Hezekiah is used in the New Testament, it's describing this quietness of the heart, right? This place that we locate inside of us. I'll give you just a brief story that occurs in the book of Acts chapter 11. So as we know, the church has, is like always a mess. There's always some issue in the larger church, right? And so in Acts 11, there's some big issue over whether or not Gentiles could be fully included in the life of the church. And people are all a tizzy. And the Apostle Peter, he gets up and he makes a big speech and he presents the case for full inclusion. And the scripture says this, put it in the chat here. Hearing these things, the people quieted down and gave glory to God, saying, then God has also given the Gentiles a turning of the heart toward life. So that quieted down, that's that word, Hesekiah. They quieted down. And so perhaps they got physically quieter, but it doesn't seem like they did entirely because in that same breath, they were giving glory to God, right? So what it really means is they, they just, they calmed down, they settled in their hearts and they felt at peace, right? They just sort of relinquished their fears. They found this space and it brought to mind this, this prayer, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. I'm gonna put that into the chat. That's a prayer that was written by Julian of Norwich. She's a woman who lived in the 14th century and she's particularly relevant for us because she lived during a pandemic, right? She lived during the Black Death in isolation. And so that's one of her more well-known prayers written during the plague, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And I feel her, right? I want this to be my core. This is what we're talking about. And I like to pair that with that picture that Sumant Kid used, that Hezekiah prayer being like building a nest in your heart. It's this place that builds resilience in us and forms us. And that's what gives us this deep sense of safety and security come what may. And to take it even further, you might even briefly imagine like Jesus in this little nest with you praying on your behalf, or maybe the Holy Spirit praying for you. Like maybe Jesus is like that mama Robin in my backyard, right? Protecting that space for you. There's a place in Hebrews 7 that tells us Jesus lives to intercede to God on behalf of all humankind. And then there's a place in Romans here that we'll look at. Romans 8 talks about the spirit interceding for us. Likewise, the spirit also gives us aid in our infirmity. For we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit itself makes intercession with unutterable groans. And he who searches out the heart knows what the spirit's mind is. For in accord with God, it makes intercession on behalf of the holy ones. And we know that for those loving God, all things work together for good for those called according to a purpose. So it's like if you feel like you don't have the time or the energy or the words to pray, you could just say something like, Spirit, pray for me. Or even Jesus, pray for me. 
right? And like the robins put their most precious items, right? Their little fragile eggs in these nests to protect them from the weather and from predators. We can store our most vulnerable parts in our nest and just picture God protecting them. So even when we don't know what to pray for over them, just spirit, pray for us. And it's in finding this core connection with the divine that we begin to transform, right? That, that to me is, is the mechanic if, you, if we're looking for a mechanic. Our lives can be hectic around us, but it's finding this anchor in the storm that helps us build resilience, right? It's a little bit like how a toddler will like go into a new space, if you've ever been around toddlers, right? And as long as their mom or their dad is nearby, they'll kind of explore and feel safe to do that, but they'll always kind of look around and make sure mom or dad or caregiver, grandma, whoever is still there. And it's that secure bond that they have that like lets them continue to roam and to figure things out and adventure. And I think of that as being a little bit like the connection that we have with God here, right? It's like, okay, God, you're still there in this little nest inside of me, praying for me, and I can keep on and my heart can embrace this, like all shall be well, even in turmoil, because you're there. So whatever's going on out here, I can manage. And this idea of Hesekiah is so important in the Orthodox branch of Christianity. There are actually several icons depicting the ideas surrounding it. This was surprising to me, right? The divine icons of Hesekiah are the icons of holy silence. So I'm actually going to share my screen, and I want to show you one that I, I thought was really kind of cool. This is a Russian Orthodox icon. Let me pull this up. The Savior of the Blessed Silence. And the icon here is of Jesus. And one of the first things that we might notice is that Jesus has wings like an angel. Now, I'm no icon expert. I need Susan King. I don't know if she's online today. She might be able to tell us a little bit more. But apparently there's only a few icons that actually depict Jesus as an angel. And this is one of them. And we actually know another at Blue Ocean. If you have ever met with us in person or if you do, you'll notice that we keep an icon on our altar every week of Jesus as the Lady Sophia, which is also an Orthodox icon. So Jesus as the embodiment of Lady Wisdom, and Jesus has wings in that one. And so in that, Jesus is the messenger of divine wisdom, and here Christ is the messenger of divine silence. And you'll also notice the, the star that's behind Jesus's head here. It's a star with seven points, and it's called the Star of the Ancient of Days. And it represents the six days of creation and then the seventh day of rest. And that seventh day is also called a day of eternity. It's the eternal now of God, which is Sabbath rest. And so here we have Jesus, the messenger of divine silence, which is Sabbath rest crowned with creation and the eternal rest of God. And then we notice the little bird that he's actually holding on his chest, right? And that's the Holy Spirit, but it's like nesting in that heart area. And so what I'm thinking we'll do here for our meditation, if you're newer, we usually do a couple of minutes of either silence or guided meditation. And I think we'll just take a little bit of silence where we can maybe take a look at this icon and we'll just say this Julian of Norwich prayer, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. I don't, I don't have the chat access, maybe Cassie can put that back in there. So I'll invite you just, we'll just like get our breathing a little bit slowed down. And then as you breathe, all shall be well, 
and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Let's take about a moment of silence to do this, about a minute of silence, and then I'll come in and maybe we can say that prayer together a couple of times as we wrap up. So just relax, take a look at the icon if you'd like, all shall be well. As I'm looking at it, I'm just thinking about just all of the millions of people who have either looked at these icons or just found this space with God. And so just thinking about all of us together, finding this space joined with the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the universal church. I'll say this prayer out loud together and you can say it with me if you would like, or just take it in. All shall be well and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Pray for us, Lord Jesus. Amen.